All right, Pete Giuliano, it is Saturday, the 27th of October, 2018. That makes this solder smoke. 207! 207. Ralph, two, Ralph, crank it in. Ralph, it's 207. number 207, my friend. Thank God somebody's keeping track of this because <laughs> God knows I don't. <laughs> hey, we're Pete and I have been struggling this morning with computer. Oh, I've been struggling with computer stuff. And I hope we've got this right. I hope my audio sounds vaguely human. Last time it did not. I blame Skype hardware. No, not hardware. Software updates. These constant yeah. software updates. It just further confirms my deep dedication to hardware defined radio. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. Pete, I, you, you've, you had an inspirational idea here, and I think you're right. I think we should begin on a positive note and talk yes. about some of the giants of ham radio, radio in general. So who do, who do you had some in mind? You've been thinking gigantic thoughts. The the first guy in the list is that Italian guy, Mark Marconi. Marconi. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm a big I'm a big fan of Marconi. I met his daughter Electra. No kidding. I did. Oh wow. Yeah, when when I was over at Embassy Rome, she was there. Yeah, and wow. talked to her talked to her about her father. It was really really kind of kind of really very interesting. But it but yeah, and I agree with you. I think Marconi was a true radio amateur he had he had a shack the shack was up up in the attic in in the the family home in bologna and he had convinced his mother i think his mother was american to kind of let him have a place where he could play with quote his electricity yeah i mean the guy was the guy was uh i think he was one of us who else did you want to mention well you know you you see that transition from from um, Marconi and and of course Armstrong. Don't forget Armstrong in there. Edwin who, Howard Armstrong. Armstrong. Yeah, I mean he he took the crystal detector and moved into vacuum tubes and regen receivers. I mean, boy, you talk about advancing the state of the art. I know, and for me, for me, it was um, it was the superhead. He was the inventor yeah. of the superhead. Yeah, and yeah. For me, I'll, I will always be grateful because he allowed us to move beyond regenerative receivers. Yeah. And then, you, you know, there was a whole cluster of guys, and you think about uh, who who started out in the hobby and then turned it into a business. And I'm thinking about Art Collins, Bill Halligan, who became Halicrafters. Halicrafters, I got his rig sitting right here. Leo Myerson. Leo Myerson. <laughs> WRL. World Globe Radio King. Laboratories. <laughs> yeah, the Globe King 500. Hey, those are hard, Those are really expensive. You can find one today. And then you think guys like Bob Drake, you know, the Drake line. And yeah, then Miami's, Al, Miamisburg, Ohio. Yeah, and then Al Kahn, who, who really invented the Electro Voice mic and then went on to found Tentech. I mean, those guys are amazing. Uh, E.F. Johnson? E.F. Johnson? EF Edgar Johnson, yeah. I recently found that I put it up on the, on the Solder Smoke blog, a recording of a speech made by him. It was very kind of inspirational speech looking back at his his start in radio and everything else. Check it out. I think it's really, really nice. And then the other Johnson, Herb Johnson. Any Swan relation? and Atlas. No, no. No. But Herb Johnson is from Western Pennsylvania. So <laughs> there's, a, there's a connection there, Bill. There's a connection. He started out in Western Pennsylvania. But, I mean, these guys were visionary. They, they built some things in their shacks, and the next thing you know, became commercial product lines. Uh, I, I mean, hats off to them. Philo Farnsworth. Yeah, yeah. Riding along on that tractor out there, going up and down those rows, and suddenly the thought occurred to him that he could make 
a scanning device to scan images and send it over the wire or over radio. Yeah. Philo. You know, a yeah. lot of these guys didn't end didn't end well. No. I mean, uh, poor Edwin Howard Armstrong. He, I mean, he he got tied up in patent struggles with David Sarnoff. Yeah. Everybody simultaneously say boo boo for Sarnoff, and then you know it 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 drove him it, it just drove him over the edge and he the poor guy killed himself. Uh, and think about Tesla, ended up penniless. Yeah. Tesla, you know. Wow, I've been reading. I was reading about Tesla this morning, and Tesla's about Tesla's, uh, you know, confrontation with um, uh, the the great inventor. Who who am I thinking about here? The guy on the, the Edison. <laughs> Edison. He, start, he started well, off with Edison. He started, yeah. and then and he never forgave Edison. He thought Edison stole some of his most important yeah. stuff. Yeah. Boy, but Tesla at the end, he was really out there. Yeah, but there's a little conspiracy theory here that that his trunks full of information ended up with the cia so i don't know you know his, his death <laughs> right his death right <laughs> i mean he's, he was apparently at the end he was spending a lot of time feeding the pigeons yeah uh, yeah uh, well but then you know it's interesting to see how you transition and there's kind of a fork in the road yeah there there's there's guys like wes hayward yep and and you know doug demaw yep. and and rick campbell yep. and these are these are guys who who are real true True homebrew guys. I mean, they never, they never had. Well, I guess Dema had a business, a commercial business, but I don't think Wes has ever had one or Campbell either. But Dema had some kind of commercial radio. Oak Hills FF. Research. Yeah, Oak Hills Research. There you go. But but then you see the other guy, the current guys like Farhan and Han Summers, you know, who have come out with some amazing products. Tim Walford, you know, come out with some amazing products. So I mean, we're we've really. In a hundred and I think it's about a hundred and thirteen years because it was Marconi was in nineteen oh five right yeah nineteen oh five so uh, in, a, in like in a hundred and thirteen years it's amazing where this hobby has gone don't amazing for, don't don't forget don't forget Wayne Burdick and Eric Schwartz oh yeah yeah but I, but I agree with you I think uh, guys like Farhan and Hans Summers making enormous contributions but we talked about folks who didn't end well but the thing is both these guys i think are very very kind of happy and content and are 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 pursuing it kind of out of kind of love for the radio art more than anything else yeah they 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 have sort of a commercial business but not a commercial business in the sense it's out of their garage yeah, type yeah. of thing yeah yeah. yeah yeah type of thing which is kind of cool but anyway i i think we need to just reflect every once in a while I, I wonder how many current amateurs today really understand the genesis of our hobby and how it progressed in in 113 years. You know, where where the first first signals sent across the Atlantic. You know, Marconi, but yep. he sent it what to Newfoundland. That, that's where they were from from Scotland to Newfoundland. Yeah, I mean, I forget. They, I think there was in, they were in southern Nova England. Scotia. And, and I think it was in. I forget. I mean, I, I have it all on the blog, but but uh, and there's so many other sources of it. But yeah, going across crossing the pond the first time, and uh, I, but for me, Marconi, the, the 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 story about Marconi that I found kind of the most kind of satisfying was when he was first testing his radio transmitter. He was at the house in Bologna, and they had a lot of land. And he had a receiver that was set up, and he wanted to see 
if they would receive the signal kind of over the hill. So he kept sending them further out into the field, further out into the field. And eventually they kind of went kind of over the hill and they were no longer within visual, visual range of Marconi's shack. And he sent the signal, but he had sent them out with a shotgun. And he told them that if they, when they received the signal, when he, when he put the key down and they received the signal, they were to fire the shotgun. And it was then that he knew that he had received, yeah. that he had actually been able to transmit. So uh, great stories there. Edwin Armstrong, I mean, Howard Armstrong, so many great stories about him. And, you know, he was in World War One in the Signal Corps. And apparently one of his great ideas, and it may have been the idea for the Super Hat, came when he was, he was watching an enemy aircraft come in and do a strafing run. He may, he may have, I'm not sure where he was, but he's, he was looking at the thing and he was thinking about the, the, I think he was thinking about the noise from the engine and how you would be able to deal with kind of the spark noise from the engine on the aircraft, which, which is the sign of a true radio fanatic. I mean, when you're standing there and you're looking up and there's an enemy aircraft operating over Shooting you, at you and you're thinking, how could I make a better receiver? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, good, good, good thoughts there, Pete. It is good to think of the, of the, of the radio heroes. And we, we, tr I try on the blog, you know, to put them up there. Every time I find a good story about somebody, I put it up there. There's some good stuff up there about Armstrong, a lot of file of Farnsworth stuff, a lot of Marconi stuff. And the story of me meeting his, his daughter, Electra. I think he named the 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 the, wow. the, the yacht. He was his yacht was also known as the Electra, and we have a picture of Marconi standing there with her in his arms, and uh, shortly before before he died. But anyway, but speaking about sending signals across the Atlantic, I understand you've been doing some of this yourself on a frequency Ooh. that we have recently thought to be dead as a doornail. Tell us it's not true, I, Pete. I, 15 meters. 15 meters. I, I 15 have forgotten meters. about 15 meters. 15 meters. And, and I think my forgetting about 15 meters, I blame 17 meters because I've become so enamored of 17 meters that I've completely forgotten the 15 meter band, which is enormous, by the way. Yeah. Well, the thing that's interesting, I I, I just accidentally was tuning up a, a, a radio and I heard signals on 15 meters. I said, whoo, it's open. And I understand that uh, here in the last couple of weeks, it's been open for several days. And this weekend is a, some sort of DX contest. Loaded. Ooh. It's loaded with stations. So if wow. you're going to get on 15, there's probably a lot of guys out there participating in the contest. And, and I worked Hawaii on about 100 milliwatts. Beautiful. Yeah. With what mode? Sideband. Sideband, of course. I thought you were going to tell me FT8. No, sideband. Side All right. Forget, forget that FTA crap. <laughs> You're not involved. I call I call FTA like remote sex. <laughs> hey, wait, wait, wait. This is a family show. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, show. I know. Yeah, we, get I know. Your, we, get, we get what you're saying here, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I have similar You're not involved. <laughs> You're not involved. It's a computer. Well, I remember when I was, I think when I, I was exchanging emails with with Wes about Whisper, back when we were playing with Whisper, and I could I could tell just in the email exchange that he didn't like the whole idea, and then he, when I was explaining to him how it worked, he kind of said, he wrote back at one point and said, 
at what point do you know whether or not you're having fun? Yeah. And right. so, well, we don't, FDA, it's all the rage. You know, we're, you know, we don't want to go against, well, maybe we do want to go against the tide here, but uh, we could talk about that a little bit later. But that's great news about 15. And it, yeah. is, a, it is a reminder that the, the bands do open even in this, as we move into the, the, the low part of the sunspot cycle. But I want to refer you back to Solder Smoke Podcast 200, which was in October of 2017. And Bill, Ma- and Bill Mira says, 17 meters at this time of year, there's a phenomena that this is a good time to get in 17. So I would bet, since it's October... I bet that 15 is open, 17 might be open as well. Well, I thought that same thing too. That was my first thought. If 15 is open, 17 is almost certainly open. But my but my moxon was blown down by the nor'easter. There's one headed your way, by the way, this weekend. It, just, it already Another passed. One. It came through last night, the yeah. nor'easter, yeah. yeah. For, for a long time, we didn't even talk about nor'easters, but we're talking no. about nor'easters again. My grandmother used to live in fear of nor'easters. But it came from the West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... <laughs> it, it moved through here. We, we're getting cold rain now, but that, that's about it. But anyway, fine. I, 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 I will try. I'm thinking I, my 17-meter rig is sitting here looking at me, and I might try to fire it up. But, Pete, I have been on a different frequency. Really <gasps> different. Really different. Yeah. The 5.3 megahertz band. <gasps> AKA, moose and a squirrel, yeah? AKA, I've been there with moose and squirrel. On the 60 meters, six zero meter band, unknown territory for vast, for the vast majority of radio amateurs, a scary place of channelization and 100 watt power limits. Many radio amateurs believe that it is impossible to communicate at such low power levels that even to speak to their buddies across town, a full kilowatt is required. Not true. Not true. Not true. And we're proving that every day on 60 meters. Um, I, uh, I, you know, I talked about how the, 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 the Nor'easter knocked down the Moxon, which led to the 135-foot doublet, which is doing great. I do have to step out to the carport in the cold and the rain to change Wait bands. till February. We'll talk to you, <laughs> we'll talk to you about that. The problem is <laughs> when, when it really starts to get cold, Whatever band I was on before uh, the cold, be I'm going to stay there till the spring, you know? <laughs> yeah, I would have I checked out uh, 15 meters, but damn, it's cold out there. So uh, I think I'll stay on 60. Well, let me ask you, are you using the Bidex or MicroBidex? On 60 meters, the only rig I... Well, I know. I, I have two rigs that'll go on, on 60 meters, but I'm with the MicroBidex on 60. And I'm feeding it into the EB63A um, solid-state um, amplifier, the 0.1KW amplifier, and I didn't even have to get this. I didn't even have to make up a, a new low-pass filter for the band, right? 40 meters. I got a 40-meter low-pass filter yeah. in there. So that takes care of the second harmonic on on 10 on, on the second harmonic of the of the five point ten megahertz, megahertz yeah, right, ten point six, yeah. So no no problem there. I just threw the switch, put the filter in the forty meter position, and Bob's your uncle. By the way, I was talking to a station on forty meters on sixty meters, and the guy was describing something that he did, 
and he used the phrase, Bob's your uncle. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Where did you get that? And he wasn't sure. I thought, I thought he was going to say, I've been listening to this really weird podcast by these two guys. Talking, <laughs> no, no. He Belfort, got it, Belfort. He got, he got it somewhere else. Robert any, Belfort. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 60 meters is, I think, a lot of fun. There are, we so far, we still have five channels, and you have to stay on the channel, and you have to be upper sideband. So with the micro bidex, all I do, I don't, I don't have it channelized in any real sense. It's just that I know that I can only operate on like channel one is 5.330.5. And I have a little piece of paper with the channel frequencies taped to the front of the transceiver. And around here, most of the activity is on channel one or channel two, sometimes on channel three. And it is a very friendly place there are no contests there's a 100 watt power limit you have to be kind of dedicated to get up an antenna that's going to resonate on this band and it just it just seems it seems really nice there are a nice groups of people on on channel one on channel two they're only on certain times during the day it's it's not really crowded and here's the thing you never get a situation where somebody slides up within two kcs of you and you're listening to splatter off the sides because there's nobody off the sides. Now, there are some weird things that happen there because it's a shared band. And here in the States, we're sharing it with the, with the military and with Homeland Security and emergency services. So the other night, for the first time in my amateur radio experience, I heard a Mars station calling on the frequency, calling for radio amateurs to respond. The Mars station was Alpha Alpha Radio 4 Lima Whiskey. And he got on and he was asking amateurs to call in to, re to provide reports on the status of infrastructure in their counties. <laughs> Ooh. And I, I was briefly tempted to launch into a tirade about bridges and potholes. But I decided, well, no, it's just an exercise. So I, I called in and I told them that they wanted to know, for example, they listed, they wanted to know about um, roads, airports, um, highways, bridges, and sewers. <laughs> you know? So I just called in. I said, I'm in Fairfax County, Virginia, and as far as I could tell, infrastructure is normal. And he, he was really, really grateful to get that. That was good. And then he said that there was going to be uh, a, a broadcast from, like, the military for radio amateurs. On, now, if this was any other band, I'd figure that my leg was being pulled, but this was 60 meters, and it is shared. So he said at, uh, at 0010 Zulu, there was going to be a, a, uh, a report on, um, from, on Channel 1, and I tuned, and there was a station that came on, and sure enough, he read the announcement about the collecting data about infrastructure. And you know what? He had, how he identified the station? He didn't have a call sign. This is Desert Eagle. Ooh. Ooh. I knew you'd like that. Desert. so wow this is well, this is really well, something you know you know there's a couple of th th interesting things in the point you're you're making first of if there's a major disaster this is now another part of the structure yeah so, so, so and and maybe better than 40 meters or 20 meters and the other thing is nvis antennas 
on no, the that's, ground. That's it. I, on I, the ground. Hey, listen. <laughs> on the ground. I, I was, um, but but the, there's there are really kind of different things about 60 meters propagation-wise. Some people will describe it as sort of a mixture between, uh, sort of a halfway between 40 and 75. And I do find that. But the NVIS thing is is really intriguing because I was talking to a guy and I had a really good, solid contact with him. And he told me that he was in Virginia. Okay. I checked on QRZ.com. You know, you can get the... We were precisely 75 miles apart. Think about that. We would never be talking to each other on 20 meters. We might not be talking to each other on 40. It's not ground wave at 75 miles. So it's got to be NVIS both ways. And, and it works real well. I think that's one of the reasons that uh, 60 meters is seen as a particularly useful band for this kind of emergency uh, communications. So uh, there's, a, there's, but there are other, there are problems with 60 meters, especially if you go to that middle channel, like 53, 57.0. It's the only one of the channels that is not 0.5, not half a kilohertz. So this is one of the reasons that the guys with the military rigs congregate yeah, there. Dial it in, yeah. I'll tell you about the, the moose and squirrel here in a minute. But I, I was on there, and then all of us, now, now you, the, all these bands, you can operate digital modes, CW, and phone on all of these channels. So there's no kind of mode segregation, which creates problems because the digital guys will suddenly be on. And I was in contact with somebody and, uh, you know, all of a sudden a really loud digital signal came on and it was, it was kind of annoying. I mean, he was so loud that he had to hear me. And when digital signal stopped, I just said, well, frequencies in use, old man. And, because I figured, well, if he's got the digital signal running, he, he, he's going to be able to hear me. We're all channelized. He's going to be able to hear the SSB. But um, then another station came on and explained to me that this was something different, that this was um, what he called um, uh, like an, uh, a, a PCALE HFAL sounding select tone system. You've heard about this, right? And they were actually running an exercise, and it was one of these kind of civilian military exercises. And I kind of went back, before I knew it was some sort of exercise, I said, well, look, and, and, he, and he was trying to explain to me, well, he's probably not going to hear you. It's all being done automatically. Well, first of all, automatic transmissions are not allowed on, on 60 meters. And if he was running some sort of system like Whisper or something like that, He's, he's still required, but he's still required to make sure that the frequency is not in use. You can't just say, well, I'm sorry, I'm running digital stuff, so tough luck. But I looked, and there was some sort of exercise going. The guy who talked to me said that they have a setting. It's kind of a cell call thing where you can call a specific station, and you send tones, and that'll activate the station on the other end. Okay, fine, but... Uh, he said that there's a setting that you could use so that it wouldn't transmit if it detects a signal on the frequency, but apparently this fellow was not <laughs> making use of that. But anyway, there's some weird stuff on uh, on 60, but all in all, I like it. I like it a lot, and it's a good kind of change of pace, getting out of the rut. But by the way, you can't operate all the digital modes. No, which can you? No, whisper. The, there, the whisper frequency is not in the five channels that we yeah. have. Ah, uh, yeah. The whisper frequencies at 
five two eight two or something like that. Uh, One yeah. that we're not. We can you can listen to it, but you can't transmit. Ah, so you've been listening there too. You've been whispering. Well, I I, I thought it'd be kind of interesting. Uh, let me tell you, my interest in whisper today is not the context, but how good the receivers are. It's yeah. a good way of testing receivers. Yeah, you yeah. built something. Are you hearing it? Yeah. Or you or you transmit it, and it's something you don't have to sit there all day long and do. So I can look at the data later on. So I, I think thought, it's a, go ahead, but I think it's a great way to test antenna patterns too. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I know how, what my antenna yeah. will do now. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Um, but but really really interesting stuff on sixty. Um, on the microbit X, I just wanted to share something with you. Uh, I, the, the, the guys, oh, th we got to talk about the moose and squirrel. Okay. Yeah. So they have, because <laughs> Pete, this will really confuse people. But what are you talking about? The moose and squirrel. Squirrel, yeah. All right. So in the morning on the, on Saturday, there's the old military radio net. I was just listening to them on 75 meter AM for many years. They're there. And then they have, but they have a follow-up net on Saturday at 12 o'clock on 5357. And it's. Guys who are taking their old military radio equipment, putting it on SSB, a lot of them are like PRC-74s, things like that. And they'll get on, on this frequency, and they'll kind of have a follow-on net. They call it, it's got various names. One is called the Long Range Reconnaissance Patrol Net. Ooh, right? But then they also kind of, in a kind of joking way, call it the Moose and Squirrel Net. And this goes back to the old cartoon I think it was on the air from like 1959 to 1964, and it was Bullwinkle J. Moose, and he was always up against the the communist enemy, and the the woman was Natasha Fatale, <sighs> and her male sidekick was Boris Badenov. Badenov. He's bad enough. Boris yes. Badenov, and their leader was the fearless leader who had all of them had very distinctly kind of ominous kind of Russian cold war accents. And, uh, and they were there, they were fighting for freedom was of course, Bullwinkle J Moose and the secret squirrel. Ah, Rocky, <laughs> Rocky, the secret squirrel. <laughs> anyway, so that's what they, these guys call themselves when they get together in the moose and squirrel net. And so I have checked in a few times now with the moose and squirrel net, and I got a report. These guys are really blown away by how good the microbidex sounds. You know, the poor microbidex is under some duress right now because people are talking about how to take care of some spurs and some problems with harmonics and, and all this kind of stuff. And it's good that they're making progress on it. But for me, this was a great reminder of how really great the rig is even in its current kind of unperfected form. Because these guys, I mean, I, I think that I probably stirred up quite a few micro bid X sales when I, when I told these guys about it. I said, well, you know, you're listening to a, a $100 rig, uh, you know, from India that will arrive on your door in the United States in three days. That's the DHL shipping time now that these guys are, that I'm hearing about. Guys are getting the rigs three days after they place the order. So, um, Really, really good, good, good reports on that. One final story, though. I, I after all these kind of good vibes about in you know, the moose and squirrel and the interest in the microbitics, the other night I get on sixty uh, with a completely unrelated group, and guy gets on, and you know, we're having a pretty ex 
pretty friendly standard ham radio contact. And I mentioned, hey, I'm using a micro bit X um, shipped from India. And there's this like pause. And you can tell somehow he doesn't like it. Man, there are some grumpy, grumpy guys on the radio. Well, it sounds okay for a $100 radio. No, worse than that. What he says to me, this, he, he made a real mistake here when he said this. He said, he said well, what are you going to do it's, when it breaks? You're going to send it back to India? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> okay, I had to bite my tongue. You know, I, am, I am a diplomat by profession. Yes. <laughs> and I said, but I'm uh, not. <laughs> I said, I said, well, actually, one of the benefits of this rig, old man, is that it's simple enough so that we can all understand how it works. And the idea is that should anything go wrong with it, just like in the old days, the radio amateur could actually fix it in his own workshop. I said, isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> because I guess he wants he'd be, be happier with his ICOM because <laughs> he could send it back to wherever it came from. I, I, I don't know. Grumpiness. We need less grumpiness. But by the way, I did get a report the other day that I was five hertz low in frequency. Oh man, <laughs> five hertz low. Five hertz. <laughs> How did they know? You should probably just tell them. No, that's what I sound like normally. <laughs> no, he said you're five hertz low, and, and, and or you should go back and say no, you're five hertz high. Well, he 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 was telling me that he has a, a GPS with some sort of rubidium standard. F- Locked <laughs> to his receiver, so he could tell I was five hertz low. <laughs> I said, "Well, thank you for the information." I said, oh, "I'll correct the software." No, no, you know what you should do at that point. You say, "Hold on a second, hold on, I'm making some adjustments." Then you don't do anything, right? <laughs> right. And then you come back and you say, "Does it sound better now, old man?" And he says, "Oh yeah, perfect. You got it out. You really nailed yeah, right? it." <laughs> five hertz low. Yeah. Oh God. Uh, well, I mean, that is one of the, one of the beauties of the channelization. They can never say that, right? Well, I guess they could say that you got the BFO adjusted improperly, but they wouldn't even know. Most guys wouldn't even know enough to to to, to say that. You just say, "Well, it says right here on the dial five three three zero point five. I guess it really do sound like that. One of the uh, things interesting. I just wanted to share some my, my limited experience in sixty meters. Mostly you hear the digital stations and CW stations on channel three and you hear the, the uh, phone operation on five. And I think the reason for five, that's the international frequency. Yeah, so that, yeah, o- so, so that opens overlap. up to Canada, Canada or yeah. Mexico. So and I think the that's Europeans, where mostly some, you hear the West coast on the, on five around here on the East coast. I'm finding that most of the kind of the friendly kind of get together chatter is on channel one or channel two moose and squirrels on channel three, but there's a lot of digital stuff there. And guys tell me that people who are looking for DX on 60 meters, which seems really weird to me, but they're doing it. It's on channel four and five. So that that's the way it is uh, over here. But I mean, and there's also, I haven't heard an update on there. There was talk about having a 15 KC kind three. of tuna, tunable segment. Yeah. Three. Three channel. That's channel three is going to be it, fifteen. It would be channel three. It would be be tunable yeah. for fifteen. Yeah. Yeah. But um, anyway, uh, it's a, it's a lot of fun. So uh, check it out. 
But Pete, you have been building rigs. You continue phenomenal output. Tell us about your latest projects. Well, well, since our last podcast, I built three transceivers. Oh man, <laughs> shows you shows you how long we should have a rule that we we absolutely have to have a podcast after each the completion of one transceiver at eight at the uh, at the N six QW yeah. laboratories. Yeah. Well, the first one is called the sudden. The sudden. I've heard that before. The sudden transceiver, and that was based on a article in Sprat, and I guess we're going to talk a little bit about that in the mailbag. Steve Hartley uh, wrote an article called the uh, Sudden Receiver, a PSK receiver that had two devices in it, a 2N3819 and an NE602. Because I built a sudden receiver from the GQRP club many, many years ago. I think yeah. it, was a, it was a direct conversion receiver, I think. Well, this one this one was uh, it has a crystal filter in it, and, and it's, it's not direct conversion. It's really a superhead, but it was for PSK. I looked at that and I said, what if I take the 2N3819 out of there and put an NE602 in there? So the whole transceiver is basically two NE602s. And when I was researching who's done that, I see the stuff on the internet from Bill Mara. <laughs> finally, it, it, it finally happens. This is a historic moment, ladies and gentlemen, because all, all the time that we've been together, I would say, I'm going to find out about this idea. And I'd go out there and there'd be N6QW. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, I I am feeling I am feeling like one of the radio giants here right now. Head drawn sketch. This is oh the yeah. Transceivers on the internet. With so a with a crystal filter between them, right? Yeah. yeah. So I said, yeah, okay. So I came up with something, and it really works good. It and does. As, and as yeah. a matter of fact, this is a subject of an article that's appearing in the current two part article GQRP Sprat. Part one is the receiver. Part two is the transmitter transceiver part. So, so then I, you know, I always look through eBay, see what's there, and I spotted a Heathkit crystal filter for fourteen bucks. I said, okay, so I bought it, and and I've actually sideband filter, sideband filter, and I I built another transceiver in two thousand and nine. I built essentially a solid state version of the HW one hundred one. So it took the the heterodyne crystals, it took the upper and lower sideband crystals, CW crystals. So I, I sent you can see that on one of my websites. You know I want to do this. I have the I know, I know. I know. But doing it with the Arduino has made it a lot easier. You don't worry about those heterodyne crystals, you don't worry about the BFO crystal, CW crystal. Although it was a real learning experience for me because uh Heathkit uh, put their upper and lower sideband crystals at 1600 hertz, not 1500. Most of the ones are, you set them 1500 hertz above and below. They're yeah. 1600. And then uh, I was reading some literature on it, and uh, I discovered that uh, some of those filters are 40 years old, and so the center frequency will drift. So you might have more than 1,600 hertz or less than 600, 1,600 hertz. So I played around with it. But I, I built a transceiver, and the Arduino went together really quickly because there's far less components that you have to deal with. And then I was working on some, some uh, a couple of other transceivers that, that are in various stages. So... It's pretty easy to do with the Arduino and the SI5351 or an analog VFO. You can, you, your choice. You can do either one. 
But I mean, there's just so much technology out there, and it, it goes together like Lego blocks. So, so the sudden transceiver is the same thing as the Heathkit filter transceiver. It's the oh. same one, right? Oh. No, different ones. Okay. The sudden has a GQRP nine megahertz crystal filter in it. Okay. All right. And the second one has the Heathkit, which is at three point three nine five. Do the front panels look similar? Yeah, they do. That's probably one, why, yeah. Yeah, one is yellow. The other one has a silver front panel with a yellow inset because I had another transceiver in there before, and I had to adapt it. <laughs> but they both look really amazing, and the, and the displays that you have there are really, really great. So, uh, and so beautiful work there. And, you know, uh, I, I've been inspired by the Velocity Channel. <laughs> I've, watching, I've watched these guys. I was watching this guy had this beautiful Nova, Chevy Nova. And, and they they were really Pete, admiring Pete, it. Pete, Pete we got to explain. Pete's talking about a, cha a cable TV channel available here in the states, and it's I've mentioned it a few times here, but it's twenty four seven guys fixing, modifying, home brewing, home brewing cars. Yeah. And it makes me think we need. Why don't we have? Why don't we have the, you know, the ham radio channel? Yeah. There you go. Well, this this guy took the Chevy, you know, beautiful body and everything. The whole underside was rusted. He said, not a problem. He just cut it out. <laughs> he cut the whole bottom of the some car of, out. Some of the stuff they do is really I mean, wild. They took all the and, not everything, and they put another one in there. And some I, of these, there's a big, there's a wide variety of, of kind of the, uh, of, of kind of skills involved there. Some of these guys look like really sharp. Others, you're thinking, Wow. I wouldn't want to ride around that thing, but um, my favorite among all the shows is a is a British production called oh, Wheeler Dealers. Dealers. Yeah, oh, <laughs> those guys are fun because <laughs> they kind of combine the the kind of the the wheeling deal wheeling and dealing to get the cars and then fix it up. I'm always amazed. Just they put a lot of work into these things, and then they mark up the price by like two or three grand. And I'm thinking, holy cow, that's a lot of work for. For, for a resale at two or three grand. And the cars are beautiful. I think I, I'd, oh, yeah. I'd want to keep them. You know, they were so nice. But I'm glad you're, you've got well, sucked into the, the also vortex. The, of, have you watched the gal's garage? The, the garage with all the gals in it? I mean, oh, I, they're well, the ones yeah, taking that, the engines out. See, that's, <laughs> that, 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 that's half the audience right there. Yeah, the yeah. You guys sitting there thinking, yeah, I want to watch. I don't know why I want to watch this car channel. <laughs> but that, oh, yeah, let's keep, keep it on that one. Yeah. You know, but anyway, you get inspired by them and you can say, you know, I could rework this or do this or do that. It just opens up your mind to possibilities. <laughs> but that just shows you we probably couldn't. Could you? How could you do that with ham radio? What would you? What would, like if we were doing Pete's Lab, the TV show, <laughs> what we what we would have some scantily clad women <laughs> running around helping you with the, with the soldering press. iron. <laughs> <laughs> you, you started this, Pete. You know, you, you know, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. All right. But anyway, uh, great stuff, good developments over there. I, I haven't really been building anything here. I've been just more like moving rigs around. But I do have a project. I have a building project going on. And it's it's I, I blame Farhan for this because Farhan was in the States in the last month. He was out on the West Coast. He went and visited Wes. Then he was visiting cousins in Texas. He didn't make it to the East Coast, so we didn't see him. But the purpose of his visit was to carry to uh, the Vandenberg Air Force Base launch site, the uh, Indian CubeSat that he's been working on. It's a tiny little thing. You know, it's, it's. I mean, I, I guess it's it's the size of like a music box, like one of these wind-up music boxes. I guess it's like about 
uh, six inches cubed, something like that, eight inches cubed. It's got solar panels on the outside. And Elon Musk and SpaceX is going to throw this thing into orbit uh, sometime next month. It's got a two-meter down link. And so this, hearing him talk about this, I, I, I was inspired to build a two-meter directional antenna and build up a receive system so that I could you know, hear this thing going overhead. I thought that would be really cool. And there's another cool kind of nostalgia aspect to it. The last time I built a two-meter quad was probably 1994, quite a ways back. I was in the Dominican Republic, and I wanted to talk to the Mir space station where American astronaut Norm Thaggard was. So I built this quad, and I built it out of scrap lumber, and refrigerator tubing, copper refrigerator tubing that I got from the hardware store in Santo Domingo. So I built up a five-element quad. It was originally part of an antenna in, from 73 Magazine called the Ray Gun. The Ray Gun. Ooh. Typical 73 Magazine. Wayne Green probably said, yeah, call it the Ray, Ray Gun. Gun you know, yeah. Like that, yeah. And, and the idea was you would have this two-meter, five-element quad, and then inside the quad, <laughs> inside the quad, helix antenna, for 70 centimeters. Now, God knows how the helix antenna inside the quad would affect the pattern. They didn't worry about these kind of niceties at 73 magazines. Just build it. Just build it. Just build it. <laughs> it, looks, it looks great. It looks like, just build it. We'll put it on the front cover. It, it looks like you got a. It looks like you got a corkscrew inside yeah, this. Yeah. A corkscrew inside the birdcage, right? So anyway, I I never got the 70 centimeter system going, but I used the the quad as a receive antenna, and miraculously the, the I mean the wood is all gone, but the the copper tube elements survived all this time, and I had them down in the basement, and so when 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 Farhan started talking about his satellite, I went down there and I brought them up, and sure enough, there's surviving are the the driven element, the reflector, and one of the directors, so. I went out to the back. Elisa had some uh, kind of wooden material for, for fencing that she'd been using in her garden. It was about ready to get thrown out. I grabbed all that. I came in here one Saturday morning. You know, sometimes sometimes you just have a, an urge to build something in the shack. You know, you're not really quite sure what, but something's telling you you got to build something. So I just started measuring and cutting pieces of wood. and You know, every it was all, I didn't buy anything. It was all available junk. And I put together the um, the three element two meter quad. I'm going to use the 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 rotator that that was used with the Moxon, and I'm going to put it up and I'm going to elevate it. I'm going to have it so that I could do a little bit of as L. Like I'll have a rope that I can pull that'll raise the antenna up from horizontal up to 45 degrees. And I'm going to use it. I have a, a number of different options for kind of the receive system here. The very basic, I could use it. I have a down converter from Hamtronics that I could use with the Drake 2B and just do down convert uh, 2 meters to, to 10 meters and listen on that. But I also have the uh, RTL SDR dongle that I could use and just run it, run this thing right into the dongle and display, have a waterfall display. So, and there's a couple other options here of different things I could do to, to receive on 2 meters. I have a scanner uh, that that Bob KD4EBM gave me, and he picked it up at a ham fest. And I, I could I could use that. That would be really good. I want to thank Bob again, Bob KD4 
EBM for sending that to me. That could be real useful. And I'm my old Radio Shack walkie. I got all kinds of receiver equipment here for two meters. So this is, again, an opportunity to get out of the rut. But that's been the uh, the way I've been doing it. And it's going to be really cool to use it with uh, with Farhan's new satellite. What, what's the what's the mode? Is it sideband or FM? I forget. I mean, I know he's going to have a beacon. He has a beacon coming down on uh, on two meters. So I'm hoping that the, all these systems I have will at least allow me to hear hear the beacon when it comes over. But um, I think they have a transponder in there, but I think it's like 40 centimeters up and uh, two meters down. That's the kind of the standard CubeSat stuff. But a lot of interesting stuff happening in the CubeSat, CubeSat world. In beyond, in addition to what, what Farhan is doing with the Indian CubeSat, um, I, this, this one blew me away. You know, we, we, we've talked from time to time on, on the podcast about when is it going to be that we're going to see a significant involvement in ham radio from radio amateurs in the People's Republic of China. Common. It's coming. And when it comes, it's going to be it's going to be a storm. And I think it's going to be great because there's got to be so many creative minds over there who are going to bring stuff to ham radio that we haven't even thought about. But I saw the first inklings of this beginning now, and there's a, the Chinese have put up a CubeSat, and apparently it's it's Chinese radio amateurs involved. Their, their call signs are, are listed. Many of them, young women who are involved in it, which is kind of unusual because you don't see that too much here. But they put a CubeSat up, but around the moon. Ooh. So they've got a CubeSat around the moon, and it's sending back pictures, sometimes pictures of Earth, and the pictures are being received by radio amateurs all around the world. So, wow, that's a project. That is really cool. And then just after I was reading about that, I put that up on the blog. I heard about a third project. NASA, I believe, is sending a CubeSat to Mars. So one of these small sats, sats is going to Mars, and it's going to be taking pictures and sending them back all the way between here and Mars, and then when it enters Mars orbit. So this is this is really kind of cool. You know, we, we joke about the Ehlers-Mathis Cup. Yep. That prize that is awaiting. Someone is going to get it for the first two-way contact with Mars. And uh, I get the sense it's coming. It's coming. So anyway, um, what, el- what else are we going on? What else? What are the projects you got to talk about? By the way, just uh, as a quick comment here, um, I've been using 40 meter whisper and I routinely uh, spot a station in China, a BH4. Really? Yeah. And they're only running two watts. So, I mean, some guys are really out there uh, on the forefront. So you're right. It's just six to eight months. <laughs> Look, it's coming. You know, what, one of the things that uh, there was a guy in... Um, England that developed a SDR transceiver called the MCHF. Well, the Chinese just copied it. Now they got all kind of companies that are marking a clone. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, we're gonna see original stuff. I think is the point you're making. We'll see some original stuff coming from from China based on you know internal designs rather than just cloning somebody's work. It's gonna be really good. Speaking of kind of original designs, and Pete, by the way, I wanted to congratulate you for the magnanimity of your earlier comments about the possibility of using analog VFOs in a rig. You were talking about the rig. <laughs> and I just thought, wow, he is a big, 
hearted, <laughs> open-minded guy. Because I know how you really feel about this. But yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of spirit that we need more of in our country today, Pete. So I, I congratulate you for that, for will, being willing to consider the petition of people on the other side of the aisle. On the, in this case, the aisle being the DDS PLL versus analog, analog lug, Ludditism which I, of course, represent. But So thank you for that. There's, there's but, a lot of gear with analog VFOs in it, still running around, yeah. And, did, and I put up a video, I don't know if you've seen it yet, about this guy who's using 3D printers to homebrew variable capacitors. Because we've those of us who are into the analog world, one of the fears that we have kind of in the back of our minds is that one of these days we're going to be put out of operation because that last variable capacitor will fall apart, and there's not going to be anybody there to replace it. This guy's using a 3D printer to develop kind of the base, the plastic base to hold the thing. Then he takes washers from the hardware store. He cuts them in half very precisely, and he engineers, again, using the 3D printer, kind of a support mechanism, and he comes up with these beautiful little homebrew variable capacitors. Really neat. I have it. I have the video on it, but you know, it made me feel bad. I feel like such an appliance operator. All of my variable capacitors are store bought. Or an Elliot. There you go. I hang my head in shame. The real radio amateurs are homebrewing their variable capacitors. Yeah, you just need to get a. He <laughs> need to get a three D printer. <laughs> <laughs> there's all kinds of stuff about three D printers coming out now too. I'm going to send you. There's a new book about the future and how three D printers and all that stuff is going to change us all in every way. Well, a good friend of mine, former next door neighbor K six ACJ, is it's called Bill. He he was doing stuff with satellites. And he 3D printed the gear so he could do the azimuth and the elevation. <laughs> he built his own rotator. Wow. Yeah. I know. Yeah. That's, a, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, some. I think sometimes they oversell it. I mean, that you're, you're going to be 3D printing your breakfast and stuff like that. I don't know. Rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> Rabbits. <Yeah. laughs> anyway. Uh, oh, uh Oh, along the same lines with capacitors, I don't know if you saw this, but the other fear that we have, those of us who are kind of fond of analog VFOs, is that someday soon we're not going to be able to get uh, NP0 capacitors with wires sticking out of them. You know, it's all the surface mount stuff. It's all fine. But I found uh, Nightfire Electronics will sell you a kit of NP0 caps. Oh, yeah, yeah, you bought which that is, kit. As Doug, De, <coughs> Doug DeMar taught us, this is one of the key elements in, in attaining analog oscillator stability. So I bought the kit, and I, I feel secure now. I, I think I've got many decades worth of NP0 caps. Stock. On stock, I'm ready to go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey, I, wanna, I, I mentioned this to you, and I think I, I sent it to Alan, uh, W2AEW also to get his thoughts on it. But I want, I want to throw it out to the, to the broader community because it's kind of a test gear issue. You know, we build all these receivers and transceivers. And, you know, you know how it is when you get it going, you could tell whether you could usually tell whether it's sensitive enough, the receiver or whether it's deaf and something's wrong. But I've always been a little bit uneasy by my inability to get any kind of measurement precision in this area. And so I was thinking about it, and I realized that I have, sitting over on my workbench, 
Thanks to Steve Silverman and uh, Dave Banford up there in New York City, a beautiful piece of test gear that I call my NYC HP 8640B. Yeah. Kind of rhymes, doesn't it? A standard, an industry standard. The the NYC HP 8640B. Steve Silverman had it in his apartment in uh, in Lower Manhattan for many years. And then when he was moving... (laughs) He wanted to give it to me, but I didn't have a way to get it in time. So Dave Benford went down there, picked it up, and I got it from Dave. So, uh, so, so thanks to both of them. But I realized that this is, it has in it a um, kind of a really accurate step attenuator so that you could take the output of that thing and drive it down. I think you could drive it down to negative 140 dBm, right? So a lot of times when you see the, the, the stats on the receivers, they'll give you the stat for minimal, minimum discernible signal. Now, they usually describe uh, you take the signal generator and you send it into the uh, antenna port or the antenna connector, the receiver, but then you have kind of off to the side uh, a power. You have coming out of the audio of the receiver kind of a... Um, a log or DB scaled a voltmeter. And then you, you see at what point does the, when you turn on the signal generator, do you see a 3 dB increase in audio output? Well, I didn't have that second part. I don't have the, the log audio frequency power meter. But since we're talking about discernible, I figured I would just use my ears, right? So I take the HP... Uh, signal generator, put it into the antenna connector, and I sit there with the speaker on, turn the thing on, and then I kind of just swish the frequency back and forth across whatever frequency I have the receiver tuned to. And as I'm doing this, I'm cranking down the power, and I see at what point can I no longer discern the signal. And I mark it down. So most of my receivers are doing pretty well. They're like at 127 dBm, something like that. And uh, so anyway, that's, that is my kind of real simple, unsophisticated, not completely scientific technique for determining the, the minimum discernible signal here for the receivers that I've been building. And I throw it out to the many gurus that we have listening what do you think about this? Is there any kind of validity to it? Does it, I, I just think it's sort of a kind of a simpler, simple way to get a better sense of how um, sensitive or deaf your your homebrew receivers are. What do you think, Pete? Uh, yeah. Well, the thought went through my mind is to put a scope on the output and then put the digital filtering in there, and then you could see where the signal pops up. Oh man, that's good. And then when the, the signal drops down, and then when you see that disappear off the scope screen, you know, at the, at the finest resolution you got, then you know. And you could, also, you could also get the 3DB point there, too, very easily. Yeah. I, see, this is, what, this, is, this is why it's so good <laughs> to be come in partnership with a genius like Pete Julian. By the way, when, we talk, when they talk about the giants of radio... I said, hey, don't forget about that Giuliano guy out there in California. Giuliano who? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, by the way, Vandenberg's only 100 miles from here to the north. Heads up, man. Yeah, I'll get the binoculars and watch the liftoff. Watch it go. (laughs) That'd be fun. Hey, um, we we mentioned, I want to talk about this too a little bit, SDR. 
because it's all the rage. And I know you're interested in it. You built an SDR radio there too. Um, and I, I'm, I'm interested in it too. But I got to say, I'm, sometimes the technological developments that come along kind of make me lose interest in it a little bit. Okay, here's why. So, and this, my understanding of the SDR technology might not be completely correct, but for a long time, what we were doing was, I guess what you'd call IF0 SDR. So you're taking the radio signals, and you're put them, putting them through a direct conversion receiver, and then audio baseband comes out, and the dig digital signal processing is being done at audio. Then the next step was, well, you'd select some IF that wasn't audio. You'd just have a superhet receiver up front, and then you would do the dig digital signal processing at the IF, say 5 megahertz. Well, that was really kind of cool, especially when they were using the direct conversion receivers, because then they would use basically a phasing receiver, because you'd get I and Q coming out. And once you had that I and Q coming out, then the software could select for upper sideband or lower sideband, and you could do all of the filtering magic in SDR. And this was kind of great because this old phasing technique that existed in my HT37 transmitter from 1959 was now being applied to the most advanced SDR technology. But my understanding of it is that now that IQ stuff is really passe. Because what they're doing now, the most advanced SDR system... DDC. Is, yeah, all they're doing is they're taking an analog-to-digital converter operating right pretty much at the antenna. They might do some bandpass filtering through it. But the, the signal comes in, it hits the analog-to-digital converter, and they convert it to a digital stream, and then everything is done in software in the computer. Which, to me is kind of almost like the like the epitome of kind of removing the the radio amateur from the radio because look none of us are going to homebrew an advanced analog to digital converter chip the kind that they're using right you have to buy it you, you have, have to buy it. it you probably you're probably not even going to be able to solder it in it's probably going to have you know one of this one of these kind of hundreds of pins coming off of it so it's, 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 a, it's, it's interesting technology. It's great, but it's getting to the point where people aren't really even going to know what's going on inside the analog to digital converter. They know what the input in the, the goes into the Gazauda is, but everything else inside, it's another mysterious black box. And, you know, then even with the software, you could play around with the software a bit, but it's different. It's, 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 it's a lot different from taking a handful of crystals and making a single conversion superhead transceiver. I don't need to tell you, you've done it so often. What are your thoughts about this, Pete? Well, you know, it's, it's like the vacuum tube, you know, before vacuum tubes, suddenly you have a vacuum tube and you can't do anything and you can't look inside it. You can't adjust anything inside the tube itself. So I, I just think that uh, the technology is just shifting to the point where you're going to have to buy this stuff. It's it's no longer can be made. Although, as an alternative, you could build a, a hybrid transceiver. Matter of fact, I got 
kind of one in the back of my mind right now where it's got the SDR back end, as you were discussing before, and it's got the standard crystal filter like a roofing filter on the front end. Because one of the problems that you have is, and this Campbell was mentioning this in in the um, QRP book, about it's really hard to get sideband suppression better than 40 dB with uh, opposite sideband suppression with just using the phasing technique because using hardware, not the, the software. So the thing is, you can really do a lot by with still components, but the direct digital conversion you're stuck. <laughs> you know, it's, you got to buy this thing. Yeah. The other thing, there's another a problem. And we've talked about this a couple times, I think. But the guys who become really enamored of the SDR technology, they, I, I guess without even thinking about it sometimes, they become kind of intolerant of those of us who are using. You're five hertz low. <laughs> You're well, not only five hertz low, but I've got brick wall filters i'm looking at you on a 72 inch screen <laughs> and they'll they'll you know, I, i'm seeing a little bit of energy above and i'll say well yeah because i'm 40 over and i'm using a, a crystal filter that definitely has more of a skirt so this business about the filters having skirts instead of when we would would look at it we would say well that's just a characteristic of the equipment but the sdr guys see it not as a feature but as a bug as a problem as a deficiency right and you'll even hear people talking about now well soon you know we aren't going to have this problem with people you know transmitting outside their allotted you know 3kc or 2.7kc passband everybody's going to have you know brick wall filters and things will be a lot better well let me just add to that. The other day, I'm in CUSO with this guy who's got a Flex 6700 with the Heath kit rig. He said, I'm yeah. looking at you. He said, you have no frequencies below 300 hertz. I said, right. <laughs> he, said, yeah. I, he said, that's the problem with a crystal filter. You're missing all, everything below 300 hertz because they're usually spec from 300 to 3,000. It's a 2.7 kilohertz wide filter. Purposefully, right. you won't see that below that because it's not seen as useful for communications purposes that's right but he said your signal doesn't have that pres presence <laughs> presence <laughs> yeah I, he said too bad i i, I <laughs> he said that's too bad i i was beside myself oh man yeah so anyway uh yeah and then there's you know okay so the, the virtues of the SDR system. But I'm holding up in front of me right now. This is an SDR rig, right? Yeah. Right in your I hand. have it here. Yeah. It, it's the iPhone, whatever version of iPhone that I walk around with my pocket all the time. But I tell you, I don't feel any kind of kind of attraction or connection to the technology of this thing. I have no idea what's going on in there. However, I do know that it's an SDR radio, right? So I, I would... You know, I, I think it's great that guys are fooling around with new technology. But it, it, for me, the danger is, though, I think, that among guys who were appliance operators before, this drives them more deeply into kind of the appliance mentality. And it gets us further away from uh, ham radio's technological roots, the roots that were within yeah, all those the most masters that you mentioned. The most frequent comment I hear is, I could never build a radio. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, that's the problem because if you're thinking about an SDR radio, Probably you're right. Not, yeah. None of us can, right? Because not, unless you're going to set up your own Intel chip factory, I mean, no, you can't. Or like right? that young kid had a chip factory in his garage. Remember that? that <laughs> yeah, he was, uh, he's got a shot at it. Yeah. Maybe he could do it. Yeah. yeah, but he's not. He's got a, not going not to make the analog to digital converter yeah. either. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so these are the things that we worry about. I guess um, this is, you know, people are going to be listening to this and saying, those guys are just so partic- so completely out of it. Mar- that Mara guy more than Giuliano. <laughs> Hey, I got to tell you a quick story. You were holding the phone up, and you remember you were talking about Farnsworth was plowing his field. Okay. Yeah. Okay. My my nephew, along with my brother-in-law, are are professional farmers. They farm a lot of land here uh, around the area in, where, in which I live. My nephew uh, has taken a more active role in the business, and with his iPhone. He can sit there and watch the guys plowing the fields because he's got transponders in, in their tractors that goes up to the satellites. He can watch it. He can tell us when those guys are not plowing. And he can also tell if they're not plowing straight. <laughs> there is an app on his phone. He he call him on the phone and said, why'd you stop? So, I mean, this is what you can do oh. today. This is what you can do today with the technology. I know, I know. But it's not as much fun as the old times. No, 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 no. He, he can sit there at Starbucks watching him plow the fields. Excellent stuff. All right. So what else do we have to talk about? I well, think it's time. Wait, yeah, shame- Shameless Commerce Division. Oh, man, the Shameless Commerce Division. Yes. We forgot about this last time, but I know you guys, I, I'm really grateful because a lot of people have been making use of the uh, Amazon.com box, which is in the upper right-hand corner of the soldersmoke.blogspot.com blog page. If you're thinking about buying something, especially something like really important, like when you're going out to buy that Lamborghini that you always had your heart, heart, your eye on, please use the Amazon box there because cha-ching, this Bezos or is it Bezos? I don't Bezos. Know. Bezos. Bezos has to send us 5%. You know he lost fourteen billion the other day when the stock market tanked. His fortune went down fourteen billion. Poor guy. Well, I gotta, Poor guy. I gotta be careful. I gotta be careful what I say because in where I'm living here, everybody is hoping that he decides H2, to put his yeah. new headquarters HQ two yeah. right here because the building for HQ two get this, it will be larger than the Pentagon. <laughs> which is pretty mind-blowing. I drive past the Pentagon every day. Larger than the Pentagon. I think something like 50,000 employees. It's just unbelievable. Five billion. It's just Five billion. Big, big number. That, that'll that help the jobs. <laughs> help the real estate yeah, prices. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so anyway, we don't want to offend Amazon. They're lovely people. And we just hope that all of you out there will help us take a little money from them by using the the little box up there in the corner of the, of the thing. Anytime you want to buy anything, go go up there. Just begin your search there. Cha-ching. Solder Smoke gets a bit of money. Baby needs new shoes, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, send it this way. There you go. There you go. All right, time for the Solder Smoke mailbag. And? Oh, the first thing we have to talk about in Solder Smoke mailbag is a, a request for assistance from our brothers in the GQRP club. I feel like we're almost affiliated. I feel like we're a branch. Yeah. Great guy. We are 
Great guys. We, they are. I mean, and we are, you know, we are involved in the same kind of technology, all that stuff. Even though your QRP cred, your QRP credentials are under almost constant self-imposed doubt. <laughs> I don't you care. You, you haven't mentioned an amplifier yet. I don't care. <laughs> I did. I mentioned my point one KW yeah, amplifier. Yeah. But anyway, we, we still get along great with them, and of course. How could we not? Anyway, Tony Fishpool uh, wrote and said and asked whether, ask us to ask the Solder Smoke listeners, many of whom who are subscribed to Sprat, because if you're not subscribed to Sprat, you are wrong. Right. You're wrong. Right. You're wrong. Uh, any of those who are subscribed to Sprat, have you had any problems in receiving the autumn 2018 edition? Because they went to a new printer and they heard something about people having problems. I don't. I haven't gotten mine, so I'll just say that right out. I haven't got mine either. Oh. And I've got an article in there. <laughs> oh well, they, you got two data points right there, Tony. Yeah. But anyway, for those who who would like to send some feedback, go to the the news section of the gqrp.com website. So the website is gqrp.com, no hyphen, just gqrp.com. And go to the news section. At the bottom of the page, there will be something called special feedback. Ooh. And at that point, that's where you can report whatever problems you've been having with their new printer. Um, anything else on that, Pete? Yeah. Did I get that right? And, and they're looking for two inputs. One that you haven't gotten yours as yet. And then when you do get it, to finally give them another shot to say, okay, I finally got it. So this way... They'll know, A, the pool of people didn't get it, and then, B, when you put the, the time that you did receive it, then they'll know how long it took to get your location. That's it. Okay, great. Tony uh, Tony sent me up something else. Uh, uh, one, here's a giant of ham radio, uh, Ian Kaiser, G3ROO. Um, Ian, and I, I had a chance to visit Ian at the Dover Constructors Club. I, I visited his... His, his home there, what a great guy, uh, had made such contributions to QRP, and he's now been on, on UK TV. They did a report on ITV in the United Kingdom on Ian and his spy sats. Ian has a, a great collection of spy sats, and they do an interview with him, and he talks about how he got into spy sats as a boy after the Second World War. There was kind of a radio road district in London and he found out that a lot of these guys who were actually using spy sats, who were going behind enemy lines to use them, when the demobilization came, they just kept the gear. Now, here's the thing. At the time, the, the, the part of the rig that was considered most valuable was the suitcase. So what they were doing is they were selling these rigs and the guys who were buying them were buying them for the suitcase and they were kind of ripping the radio stuff out and they were getting rid of it. So Ian went down there and talked to these guys who were doing that and he managed to come away with his first three parasets. Oh, oh beautiful stuff. But it's scary. I, I got to tell you, behind enemy lines with two six SK7s for a receiver and a 66 for a transmitter regen receiver and and a 6 watt transmitter scares the hell out of you. your lifeline is 
free tube. Dedication to the cause. Tube. I tell you, more and more we find, and, and even the region, I think it had a regen receiver. Yeah, right? yeah. Two that was probably S- transmitting like a banshee. The two six K- SK7s is the receiver. Brave people. Uh, by the way, somebody else, I didn't realize her war record, Audrey Hepburn. As a little girl, not Catherine Hepburn, Audrey Hepburn, Breakfast and Tiffany's, Roman Vacation. Wow. She went through a lot under Nazi occupation. And even as a little girl, was a very courageous resistance fighter. She used to carry secret messages for them in her socks oh, I didn't when know she was that. a little yeah, girl. Yeah, wow. I'll send you something. Check out Audrey Hepburn. It was really impressive stuff. But anyway, um, all right. So anyway, Ian's been on ITV, and I have the clip with him discussing the spice hats up on the solder smoke blog. So check that out. You'll, you'll really enjoy that. Thanks to Tony for sending that. We got a nice email from Ram, Ram VU3 XVR, and he built a really nice TIA termination insensitive amplifier, HB transceiver. And he took a picture of it sitting next to the book, experimental methods in RF design, because he gave all credit to EMRFD and the things he learned there and used it to turn out a really nice homebrew CW transceiver for 40 meters. Ron, beautiful work. Gwen, uh, NG3P, wrote, it sent us a nice note, and he said that um, he's uh, into Hamshack, Hamshack Hotline. It's kind of a, I guess it's kind of a, a kind of an online uh, discussion group, sort of like the, those ones that we used to use before. But Hamshack Hotline, I haven't checked it out. We got a nice email from, uh, Steve, Mike Zero, Kilo Oscar Victor. And he sent a picture. This made me feel good, Pete. Because oh, the, the system that I meant to before was internet phone. Remember we used to play around with internet phone? I haven't used it in a long time. But Hamshack Hotline something similar. But anyway, Steve, M0KOV wrote and told me something that made me feel better about myself. Ooh. That's very, very kind of a, you know, kind of feel good kind of thing. I, I've mentioned a few times that I, I feel a little bit uneasy about the fact that I have scratch-built three BIDX transceivers. I think three is about the limit before people start questioning your <laughs> stability. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've got to watch out for this, too, because you, you're, you're surrounded by transceivers. Thank God they're not all the same one. Yeah, yeah. But you start building the same one over and over again, people start, yeah. you know, start talking. Anyway, Steve also has scratch-built three bit X's and he sent pictures. So this made me create the, a new club, the three scratch built bit X club. How many people out there are in the club? I know you are, you are, you're in it. I'm in it. And Steve's in it. I don't think we've got any new members beyond that. You know, there's a lot of people who've got the, the kits, the U bit X, the, the micro bit X, the bit X 40, but scratch-built BIDXs. Have you done three or more? If so, report to us, and we will initiate the investigations. <laughs> Put your name on the honor roll. <laughs> the honor roll, or, or or maybe the examination schedule. Yeah. Anyway, send us that news if, you, if you're in the club. Thanks to, to Steve for sending that. Chris, KD4PBJ, uh, always coming up with great projects, a really enthusiastic oh, yeah. builder out there. Uh, active, involved. He's get, he got. He has his kids involved. It's always great to hear from from Chris. And he built a a PTO Turtle DC receiver, a, a direct conversion receiver using uh, a permeability tuned oscillator with the kind of the brass screw getting turned into the coil. 
I always wanted to do one of those. I know there's a kit out there. I think it's Four States QRP has a kit for uh, a PTO uh, thing there. I know this is not your bag, Pete. This doesn't have a rotary encoder, so you're just you're not interested. <laughs> yeah, you, right. <laughs> you're, you're thinking back to the old days. You used to do that. Anyway, thanks for Chris to send that in. Ralph. Yes, Ralph. 207 Ralph. 207 AP1OP writes in inspirational stories with a kind of. Is he from Western Pennsylvania? No, no, he's from New England. He's he's got, but it's the same kind of kind of flinty kind of no nonsense tone to his messages that that we like so much here at Solder Smoke. And he also did something else we like. He built his own LBS receiver. Yeah. Based on your design, but he built it with extra mojo. He built it with like on a wood base and he and he he took like coffee can bottoms and cut them in half and screwed them onto the back and they became the supports for the antenna connector, the power connector, the audio connector. It's a beautiful thing. I have pictures of it up on on the on the soldersmokeblogspot.com page. Check it out. But I was really grateful because Ralph gave us another acronym. You know, we're big on acronyms. T R G H S. People ask, people write all the time, what the hell does T-H-T-R? <laughs> the radio gods. T-R-G-H-S. The radio gods have spoken. Yeah. So, so for example, last weekend I was sitting here, I walked into the shack, and something told me to tune up the antenna on 60 meters. T-R-G-H-S. Right? We, we're guided by these things sometimes. But anyway, he came up with a new acronym, S-I-T-B. Do you, know, do you remember that this one? No. Was? Stick it to Bezos. Oh, stick it to Bezos. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that poor guy just lost fourteen billion. <laughs> stick it to him. So if he lost, if he loses another few hundred. It's not dollars. It's not going to make. Yeah, any yeah. S I T B. Yeah. That'll always be yours, Ralph. Thanks, Steve Silberman. Please add it to the lexicon. Um. Oh yeah, and again, thanks. I I felt bad because sometimes you know when, when we're doing this podcast it might seem to be highly organized right pete i mean outside observers might think that we're right we got cue cards and everything <laughs> yeah right believe me script it's almost Details entirely script. stream of consciousness yeah. i don't need to disappoint anybody yeah. but that's it yeah. and sometimes i'll forget i'll forget the name or forget the call sign and it's somebody that i really you know very important to us and that's certainly the case here with bob uh, KD4EBM, who I met at, I meet at the, the Vienna Wireless uh, Hamfest year after year. He's the guy who sent me this beautiful scanner. Thank you, Bob. And forgive me for forgetting your name in the last time, but it was just one of those moments. Pete had said something that just kind of <laughs> discombobulated me, you know, and like, for the like, moment, I'm just yeah, kind of yeah. you know, off my moorings. But your your scanner will be used to receive signals from Farhan's Indian CubeSat. And I, I just, I think TRGHS, that's why you sent it to me. The radio gods have spoken. Um, finally, Pete. Oh, my God. You know, one of, the, one of the problems that we have with our April 1st festivities, you know, I guess we're kind of weird in this, that we, we like the April 1st thing more than most people. It's sort of, I also, I'm kind of fond of Halloween, not that I want to get dressed up. I just, you know, like to give out candy to the kids from the neighborhood. They come by. It's all very nice. But April 1st is very important to us. And this is, people don't realize we're, we are just trying to maintain an important amateur radio tradition. tradition. Yeah. It goes, goes back to Hiram Percy Maxim. 
or Marconi or, or one of those guys. And so we do the April 1st thing. But what we found is that it's really hard because technology advances. And very often the wacky stuff that we think will be just hilarious on April 1st by around June 1st is being offered to the general public. <laughs> there you go. And is now proven technology. We had a bit of that with our last April 1st adventure. You'll recall that we reported how your computer had been impounded because of a, a class action lawsuit in the state of California because the marijuana industry was somehow objecting to our use of the word smoke. They're into smoke. Smoke's very important to them. Well, I told you that now I'm getting emails, and I got another one last night from... Oh, the represent- guy! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah! This is a for real guy who is a representative of the California marijuana industry. <laughs> and they, they want to sponsor solder smoke. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> this is for real. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, I know we got a lot of retired guys who don't have a lot to do, but I don't think this is what they had in mind. Oh, no. No. <laughs> this is this is time for Cheech and Chong up in smoke. Oh my God! Yeah, that, this would be a whole different podcast here. I mean, yeah. we've got to just say no. Nancy Reagan said, "Just say no." no. Yeah. yeah. Pete, on that note, that's it, man. We're done. Hey, I just wanted to make a comment. I uh, I frequently exchange emails with Tony Fishpole, and I, I mentioned to Tony, I said, you know, I wish those guys just lived down the road from us. You know, even oh. though we can communicate, I said, but I could see us gathering in the pub. You know, we'd have Tony and uh, the Reverend Dobbs and uh, Paul Darlington, <laughs> Tim Wolford, you. From me. the other side of the world, we got to bring Farhan over. Farhan, Farhan's yeah. got to be in the neighborhood. Yeah. Farhan's in the uh, neighborhood. And Summers, you know. Hans Summers. Sit around a big table, just. Now we got to set up maybe maybe a, maybe a big retirement gated community in some place with good weather. Yeah, there you go. Terrific. Be, good. be great. That'd be terrific. Yeah, terrific. We can, we can we can dream, Pete. Yep. Hey, that's it. Anything else? No. Good stuff. Good luck with all your projects. Thank you. Just stay tuned to the blog for the next new transceiver <laughs> <laughs> coming down the line. You never know what's coming <laughs> next. Right. We're going to be doing this more frequently now that we're out of the summertime. The weather's starting to turn cold here in the East Coast, so it'll be easier for us to do more and more. But we'll try to get back to our one per month, maybe even more. Oh, yeah. When I retire, we're going to go to two per month. Yeah, no problem. If it's, if it's okay with you. Oh, sure. Cool. Thanks, thanks a lot, Pete. You bet. Seven threes from the left coast. Seven three from Northern Virginia. You bet. Bye-bye. Ciao. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. 
Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at CafePress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!